I am excited to be here. Got the call from Pastor Brandon about 10 minutes before I left. But that's okay. We're going to have a good time of worship, and the second service we'll have a fun time watching. I'm excited to be here with you. I am Nathan Polk. For those of you that don't know me, Pastor Seth's son. For the last several years, I've been serving while at the University of Alabama as the executive pastor at a church plant in a small community northeast of Tuscaloosa called Holt. I'm thankful for Pastor Theron and Miss Tina and for their partnership and kindness throughout that time. I'm thankful for what God was able to do. And I have now followed him rather than him following me to Morgantown, where North American Mission Board is planting a new church. And you are a sending church and significant partner for that. 80% of Morgantown does not have a church family. And Jason Thomas as the lead and me as Church Plant Associate, which is a fancy word for I'm working with the college students, is we're going to be working as a team with the rest of the core families there to meet the needs of the community in Morgantown and also be a significant presence on campus at West Virginia University. So I'm excited. I'm thankful for your partnership everywhere I go. I don't just tell people that I grew up in church. I tell them I grew up in Cross Lanes Baptist Church. It means something to have been a part of this family. I appreciate your kindness, and I appreciate your partnership. In light of that, I have a couple of prayer needs I'd like to share for you for the work that we have going at the church at Morgantown. First is a boldness to share the gospel. Please pray for us as we engage the people of Morgantown, the students of Morgantown, the families of Morgantown. There is a great need for the gospel there, as there is all across the state of West Virginia and the world. But uh, any church plant relies not on taking people that are already in churches into the body, but rather reaching new people for Christ. So please pray for us to have boldness to share the gospel faithfully. Second, please pray for us to have opportunities connect with, to connect within the community. It's never easy to parachute. Uh, I don't feel like I'm completely parachuting because of the uh, friends and community that I have from growing up in West Virginia. But Pastor Jason's family is coming from Arizona, even though he's originally from Parkersburg. And it's a new environment for everybody. So please pray for us to have opportunities to connect within schools, within community institutions, within the university, wherever there's places to find people, please pray that we can engage in there. And lastly, please pray that we would have endurance to stay the course. All church work is hard. Church planting is uniquely difficult in that it's a full sprint for that early, that early time period to be able to engage a lot of people as passionately as we can. So please pray for us to have endurance. COVID has been difficult, especially for Jason and Hannah Thomas's family, just because it extended the runway for, for what the planting environment was going to look like. So please pray for boldness to share, opportunities to connect, and endurance to stay the course. If you have your Bible with you this morning, we're going to be continuing your series in the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Considering this topic, how to approach God. How to approach God. If everybody's there, I'll begin reading in verse 9. And this is what God's word says. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down 
on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Join me in prayer, please. God, we know that right now in distant parts of the world, there are believers whose names we'll never know and whose numbers we'll never be able to count who are worshiping you in secrecy, beneath the radar, in fear for their lives and in fear for their families' lives. God, the freedom that we are enjoying this morning to consider your word and to worship you freely, openly, and boldly is a privilege. And we thank you for your grace to have such a freedom in this country. God, this morning, the the whole point of the service, the whole point of the sermon is this, that human freedom is good, But your freedom is perfect. We have freedom from sin in you and we have a hope of salvation if we believe the hope of the gospel. God, I pray that that message would be clear this morning that even though we are sinners and separated from you, bound in chains of sin, we have the opportunity to be reconciled to our creator. God, I I pray that you would give me your words this morning and that the distractions in the pews or from the screen would would not be ones that would hinder your word. God, you want to do a work in this room today. You want to do a work in this body. And I pray that you would do so freely and with our cooperation. You're good. I thank you for the partnership of Cross Lanes Baptist Church. I thank you for their faithfulness to be on mission, whether it's Cross Lanes, Morgantown, Tuscaloosa, or the ends of the earth. Please give us that perspective as we look at your scriptures this morning and drive us to a greater passion for sharing the gospel and for reaching people for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This section of Luke is a continuation of what Pastor Seth looked at last week, the parable of the persistent widow. And if you remember well, the parable of the persistent widow had much to do with how to pray. It had much to do with an instruction from Jesus on how to seek God through prayer, that way by which we communicate with him. Luke 18, 9 through 14, though, is a little bit different. It uses the same device of a parable. Parable meaning to cast alongside or cast nearby. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He's telling them something that is related to the core of the message, but is not directly the message itself. But there's a distinct shift in Jesus' messaging between the parable and the first eight verses of Luke 18 and the second section of verses that we are reading now. Last week, Jesus emphasized the means of approach to God and his response to us. 
Now, the judge's unjust disposition and the, the widow's piety and persistence were both good things and were both elements of character. But the emphasis of that piece of Scripture has more so to do with prayer. The primary thrust of Jesus' message in the preceding verses is the means of approach to God. But as we read today in Luke 18, 9 through 14, Jesus is emphasizing the motivation of our approach to God rather than the means. Both of these men use prayer to reach God, but the result is determined by the content of their hearts. Their motivations for approaching God determine the results of their prayer. So this is the question I would like to ask today. How do we approach God in a way that's acceptable to him? There's clearly a difference in ways we can approach God by looking at the example of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's clear that God answers prayer from verses 1 through 8 of chapter 18. So we need to know how to approach him if he's to listen and he's to respond. There's three observations we're going to look at from the text this morning that are going to tell us how we are to approach God. The first one is this. The wrong way to approach God is through prideful self-righteousness. The wrong way to approach God is through prideful self-righteousness. If you read verse 9, Jesus is very clear about who his immediate audience is. It's the crowd who trusts in themselves that they are righteous and they're looking down on everyone else. And while Jesus may have a specifically prescribed audience here that's immediate to the context of the passage, the Bible is clear that pride is always connected or most often connected to sin. And pride is prevalent in human nature. We can see many examples of that from Scripture Uh, As early as Genesis 11, if you'll remember the Tower of Babel. It's after the flood, the people have gathered together and they're speaking one language. And they determine that they are going to reach the heavens. The Bible says that they said this, Come, let us build ourselves a city in a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered across the face of the whole earth. They sought to be like God and to reach heights where they would have a name for themselves, like the name that was greater than they were. And the Bible says God actually stepped down to see what they were doing. And seeing their pride, seeing their sin, he scrambled their languages and scattered them across the earth. The result of their pride, the result of their sin was punishment. In 2 Chronicles, we have the example of King Uzziah. He's a king who became a leader at only the age of 16. And initially, the Bible says that he was faithful. He followed God, and he built up lots of strength, a great deal of influence. But verse 16 of 2 Chronicles 26 says this, When he became strong, he grew arrogant, and it led to his own destruction. He disobeyed the Levitical rules about offering incense in the temple and went in and thought he was so great, he was so strong that he could approach God without following the rules. And because he offered incense without having uh, the proper authority to do so, God struck him with a skin disease that ultimately led to his death. Because of his pride, 
his desire to make a name for himself and be recognized for his strength, God punished him. Pride distorts our view of ourselves. It's the result of seeing ourselves as higher than we are, as evidenced by Babel, as stronger than we are, as evidenced by the king, or better than we are. And when we do this, we discount God's authority in our lives, and we do not give him the glory and the credit for his work in our lives that he deserves. When we do this, it most seriously drives a wedge between our relationship with God. We're not able to relate to God rightly because to do so requires that we understand who he is and respect him because of that. And I think a great illustration of this, conveniently for the message today, is uh, the use of the Pharisee here in Luke chapter 18. The Pharisees, as some of you might remember, were religious leaders in the, the nation at the time. They were responsible for modeling and teaching the Mosaic law to the people. And that's a good thing. They were good teachers. They were intelligent teachers. They were trained teachers. And the words they used were fantastic for the people. But the application was far less great than their teaching. In fact, they were known to be some of the most legalistic, hypocritical people in the entire land. And they were thought of lowly because of this. Jesus said this about them in Matthew chapter 23. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. But don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. The Pharisee in Luke chapter 18 doesn't vary very much from Jesus' description in Matthew 23. Let's look at how his pride was demonstrated. Verse 11, the Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. Other translations might say that he took his stand or he stood in front of the people. Now, standing in and of itself was not an improper posture of prayer at the time. It was normal for people to go to the temple and to stand and pray. But the image that we have here when compared to the tax collector is that he's not just standing, he's standing at the front. And he's not just standing physically, his spirit is upright and bold and commanding in front of the God who knows him not for his goodness, but who knows him for his sin. Both spiritually and physically, he is upright and almost, almost, almost threatening to the authority of God. And he's, he's pushing his limits as far as what his, his place before his creator is. And I, I think a good comparison to the way the Pharisees stood in the front and tried to approach God is the approach of Daniel. Now, Daniel had more legal constraints, but at the time, Daniel, when he went to pray, went to the upper room by himself, away from the crowd. The Pharisee, when he took his stand or stood up to pray, propped his spirit up so that people would see him rather than God seeing him. Not only did he take an arrogant stand in the temple, but he also boasted of what he did. It says here in verse chapter 11, or verse chapter 12, I'm sorry, I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of everything I get. Now this is interesting because 
in Jewish life, they actually didn't have that many times a year that they were supposed to fast. This twice-a-week fasting was a, was a man-made rule that was in addition to the Old Testament law. And it was far more frequent than the law actually required. He was pretty committed. I don't fast twice a week. This is impressive. And not only does he give a tenth of all of his income, as was prescribed by the Old Testament, he gives a tenth of everything he gets. It's not just what he earns. It's what he's given. It's what he has. It seems on its face that he was a very pious man. But the fact that he boasted about it as a source of his righteousness, the fact that he propped that up as the justification for his salvation tells us that it was a hollow observance of the Old Testament law. The action was more important than the, the, the spirit of the, of the event. The action, the doing, the performing was more important than the worshiping. He boasted of what he did, not because he was proud that he was worshiping God, but because he was proud that he was holy in himself. He takes his stand in an arrogant position against God. He boasts of what he's done, and he boasts of what he does not do. Verse 11, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I think it's interesting that he boasts about these things because who is he comparing himself to? How does the Bible say that we're judged for our sin? The Bible says that God's the standard and that his holiness is what we have to attain if we were to be saved. And the Bible also says that we cannot attain it in and of ourselves. The comparison to the people of around him is actually a comparison to his worst neighbors. It's easy when you're not an adulterer to compare yourself to an adulterer. It's easy when you're not greedy to compare yourself to someone who is greedy. And it's easy when you're not a pariah like the tax collector to compare yourself to the outcasts of society. As he publicly chastises them for their actions, he conveniently forgets out those sins that he is committing. He conveniently approaches God with a scorecard for every single person in his life except for himself. And that is the most prideful of all of his actions. This is what Jesus was talking about in verse 9 when he says that the people trusted that they were righteous in themselves and looked down on everyone else. Pride's a pitfall for us all. And it's the default posture of people toward God. It drives a wedge between us and God and prevents proper relationship. No matter what, as the Pharisee did, it's wrong to think that some number of good actions will make us right with our Creator. A religious man does not a Christian make. The Pharisee's observance of the law could not remove the pride in his heart. His approach to God was wrong because it unseated God from his life. And ironically, the importance that he placed on the actions themselves, the outward obedience that seemed to make him good, that obsession was the very thing that identified his inward lostness. Is this you? 
Is your Christian life primarily a series of hollow observances, judgments toward other people, and favorable comparisons? For many of us, the popular uh, indictment of Christians as the, the hypocrite, the religious hypocrite, might actually be true, and it might actually be true in this room. If criticism is a hallmark of your life without a recognition of your own sin, there's pride. If hollow observance of ritual weekly is the majority of your spiritual worship, that's pride. And when that sin is present, God is not there. This is the wrong way to approach God. The wrong way to approach God is through prideful self-righteousness, as evidenced by the Pharisee. The right way to approach God is through humble surrender. Let's look at what a tax collector is. This is the favorable individual in the story. And culturally, it should not have been that way. These were local recruits of the Roman government who were charged with collecting taxes from the people. And when they did that, they were well known for taking a little bit to a lot of bit of a profit off of the top of that. They extorted their people. And the most successful ones were loved by the imperial Roman rulers, but were absolutely hated by their Jewish neighbors. They lived well by their cheating when their neighbors lived relatively poorly. If there was a sinner to be found in all of the land, it was this man. If there was a, an example of what it looked like to be the opposite of the law, it should have been this individual. But when we compare the tax collector's approach to God to the Pharisee's approach to God, we see a stark contrast. Whereas the Pharisee took his stand when he prayed, the tax collector stood far off. My undergraduate education and now my grad school work at WVU has all been has all been business education. And if there's one thing they do teach there, it's how to network and stand at the front. And if there's one thing that they don't teach, it's standing at the back. There's a lot of squeaky wheels when it comes to that, those classes that I've been in. I've seen firsthand what it looks like for people to take their stand or to be in the front. Culturally, this is not a thing for us to stand far off, to be in the back, to consider yourself lowly. The tax collector was not like the Pharisee because he stood far off. The Pharisee boasted of what he didn't do by comparing himself to other people, but the tax collector wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven. It's almost like if you come home and, and your, your pet or your dog has done something wrong and they'll go hide in the corner or put their nose in the carpet. That, except in a more serious way, is what the tax collector is doing. It's a recognition of his own sin rather than a comparison favorably to those sinners around him. The Pharisee boasted of what he did, boasted of how he kept the law, but the tax collector beat his chest and recognized his own sin. God have mercy on me, a sinner. The tax collector's approach implies that humble surrender is the way to approach God. Let's look at both of those words, humility, the humble part of that phrase. Our posture before God is as important as our words. The Pharisee did the right thing 
the wrong way. And he approached with boldness when he should have approached with shame. The tax collector did the wrong thing all the way down. And he approached with contrition. Humility here is a modest view of our own importance, a lowly view of our own importance, and a high view of God's importance. I was speaking earlier with some folks in the back about some uh, faux pas with the, the English royal family, the British royal family. I think the rules are goofy, but uh, when, when people approach the British royals, you're supposed to do everything in a particular way. You bow in a particular way. You curtsy in a particular way. You don't look at them directly in the eyes unless they engage you that way. You speak when you're spoken to. There is no physical contact unless they initiate and there's some famous examples of that. Uh, LeBron James, 2014, they're taking a picture with, with Kate Middleton, and, and, and he throws his arm around her, and it was a big deal <laughs> because he shouldn't have done that. Uh, you approach authority with recognition. We approach authority with recognition, physical and behavioral. When we see a physical royal or sovereign or even someone important in our own country, we approach with recognition. And it's the same way in our Christian lives. How do we approach God? Are we standing up and throwing our arm around his shoulder or are we bowing down and having a modest view of ourselves, seeing God's holiness and approaching him with that perspective? If our words and our lives are to be humble, we must decide to do so from the start. John Bunyan said this, He that is down needs fear no fall. He that is low, no pride. If you're already there, there's nowhere to be torn down by pride. We have humility and we have surrender. The Pharisee was confident in the sufficiency of his actions, but the tax collector was confident in the sufficiency of God's mercy. He doesn't contest the judgment that God has given him. He doesn't contest the punishment. He knows he's a sinner. He's accepted that he's a sinner. And he asks God for his mercy. He trusts in God rather than the sufficiency of his own actions. He gave away any claim he had to righteousness in order to gain it from the one person that had it. So should we. If we're to approach God rightly, we must decide on a posture of humility from the beginning. We must recognize authority physically and behaviorally, approaching God as if he is God. Next, we have to surrender to God's will. Willful spiritual surrender, as in the tax collector's case, consents to the decisions of God because it recognizes, as the Bible says, that God's decisions are good, they are right, and they are the best thing for us. And when we consent to those things, it commits us to service for God's glory. The wrong way to approach God is through prideful self-righteousness. The right way to approach God is through humble surrender. And the result of approaching God rightly is justification. Humble surrender here seems to be the better way because the tax collector looks better in this story than the Pharisee. But does it get us to heaven? Does it make us right with God? Does it answer our question that we led with, how do we approach God in such a way that we can be forgiven? The answer is yes. Humble surrender is the way because Jesus said so. 
Look with me back at our text. Verse 14, I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other. The tax collector went home saved from his sins. Romans 3, 23 through 26 says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood to demonstrate his righteousness. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he, being Jesus, would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. The good news this morning is that if we approach God with humble surrender, we recognize our sin and we cry out and beat our chest, God have mercy on me because you can, we can be saved. We're sinners who have disobeyed the law of God and because of that we deserve death. All who have sinned have fallen short of God's glory and will spend an eternity in hell if they do not accept the gift of Jesus. But God made a way for us. He loved us so much that he sent his perfect son, fully God and fully man, the Savior Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to be raised from the dead, and to ascend back to the right hand of the Father. And Romans 10 says, If you believe, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When we approach God like the tax collector instead of the Pharisee, we can have justification, we can have eternal life, and we can have a right relationship with God. The Pharisee approached God with prideful self-righteousness. He was wrong, and he did not go to his house justified. The tax collector approached God with humble surrender. God saw this, and he went to his house justified. Look with me one more time at verse 14 as we wind it down. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This word exalted means to raise up or lift up, and it looks back at verses or chapters like Isaiah 57. Exaltation in the Old Testament was exclusively God's. No one could raise someone up except for God, and the only way to get there was by faith. John 3.14 says this, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. You know, it's interesting that that verse says lifted up that way, and it uses the same language as exalted that we have here in Luke 18. Same word, exalted, lifted up. In Numbers 21, God sent poisonous snakes to the people because they were speaking out against God and Moses. They were sick, they were dying, but they, when they repented, God gave them a way out. Moses posted a bronze snake on a, on a pole and lifted it up for the people, and when they raised their eyes to the snake, they were healed. John 3 says that Jesus was lifted up the same way. When we raise our eyes to Jesus, we will be saved. And Luke 18 says the same. When we are humble, we will be raised up and exalted with Jesus because of his gift to us. Now, this is what I want you to catch as we close. Whoever exalts himself by looking inward misses the salvation of looking upward. Whoever exalts himself by looking inward misses the salvation of looking upward. Exaltation of ourselves obscures our vision of the cross. 
If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ today, I would tell you whether you're at home or whether you're here, now is the time to look up. The cross has been raised. And Jesus says now that those who are humble and approach God with that humble submission can receive that gift. Those who put down themselves, put down their hollow observances, put down those things which held them back before can now have a relationship with God. I would ask you not to walk away as a deluded sinner, not understanding what you are, but to embrace God because of who he is. If you do have a relationship with Jesus today, these instances of pride may still be present. You may still be praying as he did, standing high and arrogantly in the temple, thanking God that you're not like those that are around you. The church is not a place for criticism. The church is not a place for a spirit of judgment in place of God. The spirit, the the church is a place for teaching of God's word where sin is emphasized not because of a comparison to a man, but because of a comparison to the man, Jesus Christ. And it's imperative that we as Christians do not approach God and approach those around us with prideful self-righteousness, but rather we approach God with humble surrender and we love those around us with the same spirit. I'm going to pray now and Eric's going to come back up as we close. Search your heart today to see what God is telling you about your approach to him. If you don't know Jesus, today's the day to look up. And if you do, and you're still struggling with the issues of the Pharisee, look beyond yourself. Ask God for a deep humility and commit yourself to following him as the Bible has instructed. Let's pray. God, we could not be more grateful for the gift of salvation that we have. As you provided salvation in the wilderness, as you provided salvation on Mount Calvary, so you provide salvation today. And the call is extended to all that are here. Justification is available. That legal term to be rightly related to our judge, that is available for us. God, move among us so that those that do not know you would know you and would see you revealed to them. And that those that do would not have a critical, self-righteous spirit, but rather would have a loving, corrective spirit anchored in your word and anchored in your love. God, I thank you for Crosslands Baptist and the loving example that they've been to me. I pray that you would sustain them in that and would continue to bar that self-righteousness from the church. Keep the poison out of the pews, God, and help us to be a people that glorifies you and is a biblical witness for you among the people of the world. We ask these things in your name. Amen.